Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Today's scripture is John 14, 23 through 27. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this is the reading of God's Word. Um, what I need you to do is I need you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and uh, I will uh, kind of lead us in uh, the direction I hope that we go correctly today. Uh, and uh, then uh, be here next week. Just I cannot give you everything today um, that I need to about the Holy Spirit's role in your life. It, it's impossible. Um, what we did last week, it, um, it's just as challenging, if you will, to do that uh, in such a short amount of time. So uh, this is what I need you to do is turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Last week we looked at who the Holy Spirit is. We talked about his role in our lives and uh, who he um, what he does, and he seals us is what scripture teaches us so um, but um, do you have your Bibles to Acts chapter two all right now i 'm going to bounce around i 'm going to read the first five verses, and then we 're going to bounce down to the fourteenth verse. So last week, our question is, who is the Holy Spirit? That's the question we wanted to answer. And the basis of it is, is he is a person, which is a goofy word, but it's the only word that we have in our limited vocabulary. We quoted Dr. Dwight Pryor last, uh, last week by saying, it is impossible to compare God to anything because he's the source of all things. So that's what we do, though, right? We, we try to uh, explain uh, things by the way that at least we can wrap those around our head. And I totally get it. I'm the same way. I even shared with you last week some of the <laughs> the analogies that I have used over the years just to try to explain who the Holy Spirit is. We talked about when he shows up. He's been around since the beginning. We saw it in Genesis chapter 1. We saw it in Matthew um, as well. He has been there since the beginning. But I want us to look at when the Holy Spirit actually, what I, I hate to say a new role because he's always been present all throughout the Old Testament, but he plays a much more unique role. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Everybody say one place. The Bible always speaks of the importance of gathering together. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled. Everybody say filled. Filled. 
filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I want you to bounce down because then these guys basically say some more stuff about them that we'll get to in just a minute. In verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for those, these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he's quoting an Old Testament prophecy. It's in Joel chapter two. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Father, we do love you. We think uh, highly of how compassionate and loving you are towards us. Uh, When we don't deserve... Uh, your grace and your goodness, you continue to lavish it upon us in unexplainable ways. We just thank you today. Thanks for letting us make much of you through worship. We pray that uh, it was a sweet, fragrant offering of praise and adoration. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and the power of it. Father, I pray that you give me the words to say to uh, bring clarity um, to what we perceive as of ghost stories but let us walk in boldness in the power of your holy spirit and it's in jesus name i pray amen so in christian culture we call something pentecost if you grew up more charismatic or pentecostal there was probably more of an emphasis on that in your walk in the way that you were you grew up but most people that i talk to and i ask them about pentecost really don't even understand pentecost and it makes me want to um you know throw punch them uh, or hug them i really don't know it depends on how much like a jesus i'm feeling in that moment you know what i mean uh but it's true so let me explain this to you what this day is what this time is and what this means for us as followers of jesus the pentecost is we we translated a greek word uh into that means 50 and so pentecost is actually a festival called shavuot or shavuot shavuot and shavuot was a time it was one of three festivals or three um, times of the year that any able-bodied jewish male had to make the trip the road trip to jerusalem so there's three times that this has to happen. One is Passover, and then, then this is the next one, and it's called the Feast of Fruits. So what this means is that every able-bodied Jew, okay, every man, no matter, he, that are living in all regions of the world, okay, have to make this trip to Jerusalem. So that's where we are. That's where we find this story in context. Shavuot literally means the feast of weeks or the feast of first fruits. And it happens 49 days after Passover. So let's just put this into perspective so we can see when the Holy Spirit drops and does a new work. 
Jesus dies on Passover. He dies as the sacrificial Passover lamb. Okay? He is dead, buried, and resurrected. And then we know he spends 40 days with his followers. That's what we know. We know scripture tells us that somewhere between uh, around 500 people hung out with Jesus for those 40 days. So that's where we are. Jesus then ascends into heaven. He gives the great commission, right? He says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you always. And then he tells them this. He commands them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. Man. So we have these men who have walked through probably the toughest month of their life, right? They think that Jesus is going to usurp Rome. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to destroy all the Roman government, and he's going to become the king. Some of them had the audacity, pun intended, to ask Jesus to sit on his right and his left hand whenever his, well, their mom asked, which you all know what that means, right? Mom, will you all go to, will you go talk to Jesus? Will you? you asking? But that's what they do. So they say, we want to sit on your left hand and your right hand. And Jesus looks at their mom and says, you don't even know what you're asking for. And she didn't. She didn't. And then Jesus leaves and tells them to wait. And they're waiting, the Bible tells us, in this upper room. And we know that there's about 120 of them. Now, unfortunately in life, when you get beat up, you can become like a glass half empty guy. Like I'm like, where's the other 380 of those guys, right? I mean, that's where I want to know where those guys are, where those gals are. But we know that there's only 120 at this time in this upper room and they're waiting. They're being completely obedient, staying in Jerusalem, waiting for this new covenant is what was happening. Now, I do not believe there's a part of me that I, although the apostles, were they, they had missed so much. I don't know that they knew it was going to fall on this weekend. I believe they're just being obedient to the word of God. And what I mean by that is sometimes we think things are going to happen a certain way and all God is looking for from you is simple obedience. Now, I don't like that. I would much rather him give me a calendar or if he would enable a GPS app to at least me let me know. The Bible says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. And I'm like, hey, Jesus, how about a spotlight? Could you, you know, could you let me see the next turn? If I could see the next turn. But that the apostles, these 120, these group of people are just being simply obedient. They're like, okay, we're going to do what we were told to do. And so the first fruits, I love this because prophecy is pattern, right? It's always God revealing how he's going to do something. The first fruits of the church happen on the day of Shavuot or on the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He's hung out with the disciples. They're probably waiting, I would imagine, somewhere around 10 days. And then this festival is going on. All these Jews from all over the nation are there, and the Holy Spirit drops. You guys know how I feel about one word, right? That's why I made you say it back to me. For the first time in Scripture, it says that men and women were filled 
with the Holy Spirit. Any other time prior to this date in history, the Holy Spirit would rest upon, it would encourage, but it never filled anybody. We have a blessing that we don't even understand. We take it for granted, much like everything that we do in culture. I was hanging out with Maya this week, and she was running errands with me. And my kids love to hang out with me, and I don't know because, why, because I'm mean. And um, she's like, hey, can I go run a couple of errands with you? I was like, oh, yeah, I love the company. I mean, who, who needs to pray or listen to sports talk radio? It depends on the day. You know what I'm going to do anyway. And so she's hanging out with me, and she's talking about how good we have things. And her perspective was beautiful and fresh. And she goes, well, I, I, you know, it, we were talking about how the luxury of our lives she saved money through babysitting so she could buy a mega ride pass so she could hang out at the fair all that she wants to. And we were just talking about how beautiful we have life. I said, it's funny, you know, her and I were going to the grocery store. I was like, we're, we're actually going a few minutes from our house and we're picking up food that's halfway prepared for us. We didn't have to slaughter the cow or anything. We're going to bring it back to the house and we're going to prepare it. I was like, Maya, I was like, I I want you to be able to experience other cultures. And she goes, you know, Dad, I want to experience more than just our culture so I understand what all people walk through. We don't understand the blessing that we have of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, here's, this is what I believe. If you've ever talked to me about the Bible, you know I love it. And there's a part of me that wants to believe, you know, I'm going to see Jesus. I can't wait, right? We're going to be in his presence. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be light. There's not going to be darkness. I'm going to rock it out. It's going to be amazing. But then there's like this list of people I want to talk to. And I want to go to David. I'm like, man, bro, what was it like? What was it like being the youngest brother and then holding the highest position? What was it like that God, that God chose you? And there's a part of me that wants to go to Joseph. I'm like, bro, seriously, I would have killed somebody in prison, man. And you had to wait, and you were waiting on God. And all you, everything, you, you were faithful, and you were obedient. And God kept putting you in horrible circumstances. What was it like? I want to go to Esther. I'm like, man, how did you, you, you saved an entire people. What does that mean to you? And this is my promise to you. I believe those conversations are going to happen. And each one of them are going to look back at you. And they're going to look back at me and they're going to be like, what was it like to have God living on the inside of you permanently? What was it like to wake up in the morning and knowing that the living God, the Holy Spirit was living in you? What was that like? And if you're anything like me, you know, most days I just ignored him. You know, sometimes he was causing conviction in my life, and I'm like, easy, buddy. Everybody else is doing it, you know? And I'm grieving, and I'm quenching him. And prior to this date, everybody else was just being obedient to the voice of God, the word of God, following the prophets of God, but only had the Holy Spirit resting upon them at times. And you and I have this unbelievable privilege of allowing God to live on the inside of us. And if you're anything like me, like, ah, I take it for granted. It's like milk, right? It's like the processed hamburger or chicken or whatever. I didn't have to do anything. I did. It was, it's just a part of my life. Instead of waking up thankful, God, thank you that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. Thank you for this precious gift 
of allowing me to live my life this way. That's all the introduction. That's all free. Someone tip me afterwards. The scripture that Ashley read to us, it's John chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. And what we've done, what we're doing is last week... uh, we looked at this portion of scripture where Jesus taught. He's teaching the disciples. He's basically, this is after Passover. He's washed their feet is what John tells us. And then he goes into this teaching mode. And we're pulling out from this teaching of two chapters. We're pulling out three different things that Jesus said to the disciples. This is the second one. This is what I want you to know. Jesus says that the whole, that our love for Christ Our love for him is this birth. It'll be birthed from the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit is the only thing in our life that produces obedient love. Nothing else. I cannot obey Christ in my flesh. It is an impossibility. I try. I try to be obedient. I try. And you know what? Paul said it best. I know what I'm not supposed to do, and I still do the same stupid things. That's my translation of it. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, which means this. He has a mind, he has emotions, and he has a will. And our response, and what I mean by response, enabling of or submission to. When I talk about your response and my response to the Holy Spirit, I mean when you enable him to have his way in your life or when you walk in submission to him to be obedient to the word of God in your life. Is When we do that, the Holy Spirit will directly impact the Christian. He will directly impact our lives. You know, my toughest days are whenever I'm not spending enough time in the presence presence of God and the Holy Spirit, period. I love Alistair Bag, and he has a, uh, he's from across the pond, so he has a really cool accent. So I've, I've heard him preach. I can't say it. I was going to try, and I've been trying all week, but I'm not. I'm just going to quote it. Here it is. God is at work by the Holy Spirit through his word. The way in which God does that is both mysterious and marvelous at the same time. As we have to be in the word of God. And I don't mean in religious duty where we're checking off a box. I mean saturating ourselves in the word of God and allow him to speak directly to our hearts. Last week, we discussed that the Holy Spirit's role in your life and in my life. And we looked at that and we just said that he reminds us of who we, whose we are. And he, he's the seal He reminds us. We looked at several scriptures where we we looked at him as the reminder of who we are in Christ, whose we are. He's the seal of our salvation. But this week, I I want to look really, really briefly at his purpose in our life. So we looked at his role, what he does, but now I want you to see his purpose. What does this mean for the Christian? Because of the gospel, because of the cross, what is the Holy Spirit's purpose in your life and my life? The first thing for me is to be reminded that he is ever-present. Psalms 139, the the psalmist says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? He is ever-present. The church word is omnipresent, right? Do you all remember the omni words? This basically means that the Holy Spirit is everywhere at all time. Jesus, in his incarnate form, as a, a 100, he's, he's fully man, he's fully God, and in his incarnate, incarnate form, but he is limited by geography. 
Now listen, I don't mean that Jesus is bad at social studies, okay? I mean that Jesus can't be at multiple places at, mul- at the same time. Now we saw that after Jesus resurrected, he had the ability to walk through walls. He was operating in dimensions that we are probably don't even, I know we don't even acknowledge them every day. And Jesus is living his life that way. We see that post-resurrection. But Jesus could not be speaking in Jerusalem and be speaking in Spain at the same time. It's impossible. So that's why Jesus has to send us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at all times. Jesus lives on the inside of the Christian in the form of the Holy Spirit. And we are to submit to his leading. If he is everywhere at all times, then one might say, well, does he have complete control? No, because in Acts chapter 5, there's a guy named Ananias, and Peter asked him a really poignant question. He said this to him. He said, um, Peter asked, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? It's in Acts chapter 5. So what that means for me is although the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, you and I are given free will in the way that we get to respond to his presence and his leading. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit, when you're going down the wrong path, the Holy, he kind of grabs you and shakes you. If you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, he gets your attention because he's ever-present. He is everywhere at all times. Like, Ronnie, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond in situations. Good point. The Holy Spirit also gives us wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Yet among the mature who do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has seen or ear heard, nor the heart, the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these things have revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Living your life surrendered to Jesus and fully obedient to him is foolishness to this world. It's always going to be. Don't assume that it's going to be any different. Don't assume that people are going to say, you're living your life fully surrendered. You know, the same things that separated the early church in Rome are the same things that probably need to separate us now in our current culture. It is. And that we, listen, the church doesn't even remotely have it as bad as they did in the first century. Rome was extremely a pagan culture. They need the church needs to be just as separate now as they were then. Well, let me give you a few examples. One in Rome, you could go and sacrifice, uh, give an offering, if you will, and then sleep with a prostitute, either male or woman. You have your pick, and that was considered a form of worship. Well, Ronnie, that's kind of weird. That's really not our place in America, is it not? I mean, we, we, we consume, we, and I'm going to go ahead and use the church because if the church, if people who are, well, we'll just say people who call themselves Christians, not necessarily the church, porn is the most profitable industry 
in, in the United States, period. Porn brings in more money than Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL combined. They were chased. When people looked at the early Christians like, man, you do life differently. Why do you live that way? They had an, 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 a drive to take care of the poor. The church, the early church was the first, they're the ones that really invented adoption. They would go in, this is the early church, and this is the second, third, fourth, and fifth century. They would show up in towns that have been destroyed by plagues looking to see if any children were still alive. That's what they did. It was the church. They separated themselves. And the truth is, God gives us wisdom to be separate, to be different. We're different with everything. We're different with our finances. We're different with how we spend our time. We're different with what we expose our families to. Everything about us should be a little weird. And we should be okay with that. We really should. I'm not saying that we all should home educate. Matter of fact, I strongly... Strongly tell you not to do that for the sanity of your spouse. If you want your wife to stay, you know, I mean, same. But I think that we should have a different approach, and at least we know what's going on. At least we know. Guys, we have to be different. We have to seek wisdom from the Holy Spirit. He wants to give it to us. The Spirit does know your thoughts, but he offers you free will in how you respond to him. He knows how I'm thinking. He knows what my struggles are. But then he allows me to choose whether I'm going to stand on the promises of God, be submissive to the leading of God, or whether I'm going to fix it because that's what I do. I fix things. I try to. A lot of times in my flesh, just fix things. it's, It's a horrible, well, it can be a positive too, but it's a really negative part of my personality. I ask for things to be fixed for like a few weeks. And then I just do it myself. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing. I think I'll figure it out. Where's YouTube? Your thought of your life is the battleground of where your life is going to be shaped. The Holy Spirit desires you to comprehend and understand all of God's word. And the only way you can do that is through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by being in the Word of God. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. If he has emotions, he has a mind, he has a will, then we can hurt his feelings. If you look at this scripture for me in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Let no corrupt talk, and this should probably be like my, I should probably get a tattoo on my forehead. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And I don't talk bad about you guys, I talk bad about myself. That's still corrupt talk. You're not good enough. You're not, gosh darn it. Never mind. That's a, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. That's a Saturday Night Live joke from like 20 years ago. But only such as good for building up. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Only what is good for building up as fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. We looked at this last week. By the, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you he seals our salvation 
but we can grieve him by the way we treat other people and how we choose to talk about ourselves and how we choose to approach unforgiveness. The word there for grieve is a Greek word. It's, it's lipeo. And lipeo, by definition, means that this is what you and I have the ability to do to the Holy Spirit. We can make him sorrowful. We can affect him with sadness. We can cause grief. And we can offend him. We sadden the heart of God when we willingly choose to live in a way that's contrary to his leading. And this is the struggle of sanctification. We grieve him. We grieve him when we talk corruptly, when we gossip. The churches I grew up in were famous for this. They, they passed along gossip in the form of prayer request. I need you guys to pray for Ashley. Um, this is what she's going through. It's slander. We're praying for nobody. My favorite, I'll be praying for you. That's why most of you guys know I just pray with you on the phone now. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you now. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but what is good for building up? So our words, by how we talk about others, how we speak about ourselves, has the ability to cause sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Man, that's so impacting because it just resonates that our thought life is the beginning battleground of where we are fighting against a real adversary that we unpacked last month. We can sadden the heart of God by the way that we choose to live our lives because, see, God's a gentleman. He's the first, probably the only. He's not going to push his will upon you. He's not. He's going to allow you to fall in love with him, and he's going to reveal himself to you. There's, I mean, I shall be married 17 years in January. I know more about her now than I did then was it because she was different or is it because she didn't want me to know? No, it comes through time. It comes through unpacking her emotional needs. And then she has a really needy, immature husband. So she's, I mean, she just has to really be direct a lot of times. And that only comes with, it's no different than when your relationship with the Holy Spirit and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. The only way it's going to happen is with time. The only way it's going to happen is whenever you're being obedient to what he tells you to do, which is not letting corrupt talk come out of your mouth, not about others, not about yourself. Whenever that you, have, you build up people instead of tearing them down, it, it, you're supposed to be tenderhearted. And, and it goes on to tell us we're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave us. To heaven with that, right? Well, you don't know what they did. You don't know what, how, how bad I got hurt. He didn't put a qualifier he didn't say, hey, if, if it was a really bad person, then. It's, it's not what he says. He says we're tenderhearted. We're forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. And so I'm going to tell you this. That's hard. It's really, really hard. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 26, we'll just look at verse 26. It says, likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. If your weakness is your thought life, if your weakness is coveting, if your weak whatever your weakness is, it says that the Holy Spirit wants to help us in our weakness. 
So what is that weakness that you need to say, hey, Father, listen, man, I got a potty mouth a lot of the time. And I need, that's a weakness. I need you to help me with that. Father, listen, when I see myself, I see all my failures. I see all the pain. I don't see goodness. I don't see, will you, that's my weakness. Holy Spirit, will you help me get past that? Holy Spirit, here's my weakness, man. You don't know what they did to me and what they continue to do to me. And it hurts. And I don't know that I can forgive them. But I think that if you help me, I can. Will you help me? We have to present our weaknesses. Because the Holy Spirit is there to help us through them. The Holy Spirit is the presence in the life of the Christian. Gives us overwhelming. We can be victorious in any situation if we will reveal our weaknesses to him. He knows your thoughts, but he's going to wait for you to be submissive to him. I know this is complicated. Imagine me sitting up here. I mean, we're sitting here like, okay, so the Holy Spirit, he shows up, he falls into the believer, he indwells the Christian whenever someone surrenders their life to Christ. And that means usurping, okay, there's a throne. Imagine a little little throne in your heart. In that throne, there's something sitting on it. It is either your way or it's finances and money or it is a relationship that you put above God. There is something sitting on that throne and it is either Jesus or it's really you. We become gods in our own mind. And so the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. We have the ability now to listen to Jesus, to keep his word. If we keep his word, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who God's going to send us is going to teach us all things. We're going to unpack that a lot next week. And then the word for Holy Spirit or for comforter is counselor or advocate or helper. It, and the word is so diverse, we just lose it in the simplicity sometimes of the English language. Well, how do we do that? Because of the cross, he gives us wisdom. He is all, he's eternal. He is everywhere at all times. He is ever present. And then we know that we can grieve him. We can grieve God. It doesn't mean that your sin is unpaid for. The moment that you confess with your mouth to be forgiven of sin in your life, Jesus, God forgives you of that sin because of the blood that was shed on Calvary. You're forgiven. But repentance, this is where I struggle with repentance because here's how I repent. God, forgive me. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. That was, man, really immature. And um, But I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, um, you know, probably again later down, the, maybe today, right? That's not what repentance means. Repentance means I'm doing this because I'm a dummy, and I turn, and I, this is, we go the other way. Repentance is a 180. It means you stop doing It's not like you wake up and say, hey, God, here's my laundry list of sins that I'm going to go ahead and commit and grieve you today by. That's not the gospel. That's a selfish, prideful person that sits themselves on their throne instead of fully surrendering to Christ and his cross. Ronnie, that's hard. You're right. It is hard. But it leads to peace. If you will acknowledge that Holy Spirit 
is everywhere all the time. He's constantly working in your life. He's, he's working in the lives of those around you. He's working in the lives. Maybe they're not Christian, but he still has the ability to move and do things. God says this in his word. He controls the hearts and the minds of kings. He has the ability. The Holy Spirit is always leading, always leading, always working. And then I realize that he's going to give me wisdom as long as I'm submissive to him and I'm obedient to his word. He's going to give me wisdom and how to handle life. And I don't want to grieve him because he's the seal of my salvation. And so I'm going to continue to work this out. And then when it, when I do blow it and when the, I am weak and when I do acknowledge that there's an area of my life that I need to be strengthened, the Holy Spirit comes in and he's the strength in my life. And then this is my favorite thing that he does for you and I. And I don't think that we, uh, we can fully understand this. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. We just read Romans 8, 26. Now let's read 8, 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, or for the Christian, according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God... All and we let me read that again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and that he might predestined he also called and uh, those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. I want to go back to the beginning. We have an advocate, a counselor. The Holy Spirit is your advocate. um, If you really look up this terminology, it, it means that he is your legal defense. One thing that always I struggle with about our culture is really um, the crime that you commit really isn't that big of a deal based upon the attorney you can afford. It baffles me. If it baffles me. And so, also, whenever you do have to get a defense attorney or an attorney in any way, your success rate, unfortunately, a lot of times, as far as the judicial system is concerned, it really comes down to how good they are at their job, and how good they are at their job is usually based upon how much they are willing to charge you an hour. It stinks. And that's why you see multimillionaires getting off with a warning or they're getting off with like a, 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 a house arrest or something. And the same guy, same crime committed by a different person ends up with life in prison or life for 10 years. It's baffling to me. I want you to know that you have the very best legal defense attorney, counselor, advocate that there ever has been and there ever will be. And he is there to defend your mind and your thoughts and your flesh. When we, before you become a Christian, you have no enemies. You really don't. Before you become a Christian, the only person that you oppose is God. Now, God is just. And he's a gentleman. He's going to let you decide whether you choose to fully surrender your life to him or not. But it's really not a bad enemy to have. Someone that willingly sends his son to die on the cross for you. Not a horrible enemy. The moment you surrender your heart and life to Christ, guess what? You are in a constant battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Period. 
You have a, the world culture opposes everything that you believe in and stand for. You have an adversary that doesn't want you fully surrendered to God because he knows what he has seen what happens when people get in a position that are fully surrendered to God and he knows what, can, what they are capable of. And then what I want to land on is your flesh. And your flesh is what tells you that you're not measuring up. And the Holy Spirit says, oh no, you're created in the image of God and I'm inside of you. Your flesh says, man, I have no direction. I don't even know what I'm, I don't even know where I'm going. I mean, I had this plan, but it didn't work out the way I thought it would. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he intercedes on your behalf and he helps you. And that's why scripture teaches us that he often will pray in groanings. The original text says too deep for words. And he is praying for you on your behalf. It's a beautiful thing. And he's wanting your life to be surrendered. Why? And this is where I want us to land. Because he wants you to become like Christ. You know, that's what, our, that's what we're called to become like. You're not called to become a Tim Keller, a Mark Driscoll, a Ronnie Baker. You're called to become Jesus. That's who you're called to become like. It says it there in Ephesians 5. And we looked at this last week. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we just read this in Romans chapter 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. This is the greatest invitation of life. You and I have an invitation to become like Jesus to emulate him. That's the invitation. The invitation is to be imitators of God, to walk in love. And the only way you and I can be imitators of God is fully surrendered to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen any other way. So I I want you just to reflect for a minute. Well, you know, do I real, am I living like God is ever present in my life? The Holy Spirit, the same power, as one scripture says, that raised Christ from the dead is on the inside of me. Am I living as though he is ever present, working everything out for me? You know, it totally changes the way we are. It will have a paradigm shift in the way that you view everything that happens to you. Well, the Bible said, Ronnie, you read it a minute ago, that all things are worked out. Well, you have no idea what I'm... Well, I know that the Bible says that he will work all things out for you. To good. Do you believe that he's ever present? Have you asked him for wisdom? You know, most people I know find themselves, they use prayer as a last resort instead of a first response. It's like, hey, God, look at the mess I got myself in. (laughs) Probably should have sought some counsel before making this decision, but I want to run this by you now. In the Bible, he's freely, he wants to give you, it says that he wants to impart secret and hidden wisdom of God. And we're like, I ain't got time for that. I'm going to have to get up early. I'm going to have to stay up late. Ashley is a night owl. Drives me crazy. She's unsaved. Pray for her. People shouldn't be up after midnight. We don't go to bed till like one o'clock in the morning. It's insane. And then we're up at seven. 6.30, even more insane. You know that our time with God is late at night. 
That's when it is for us. Because of her sleeping schedule that her children, I'm assuming, have imposed on her over the last 17 years. That's when we encounter God together. When are you doing it? Now, I think it's really important for you to be praying with your spouse, to be praying over them, to be praying with each other, to study the Word of God together. But it's, it's vital, I believe, to any healthy marriage. But when are you also spending that time? When are you allowing His presence to be everywhere to give you wisdom so that you can walk in a way that doesn't grieve Him, so He can be strength whenever you have weaknesses, so that you can allow him to intercede on your behalf so that you can become more like Jesus. It's the greatest invitation that you will ever get is to become like Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.